You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hey, 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 smoke weed every day or don't, you know, don't, you don't, you don't have to do, do, do drugs. You know, I don't, I don't touch the stuff, you know, for me, it's just uh broccoli and water every day. That's, that's, that's how I stay fit. Um, anyway, welcome to the X-Man podcast. I'm your host, Doc Coyle. I always appreciate it. You guys taking your time out of your busy day to listen to my crazy, crazy show, crazy thoughts. Don't have a uh, much of a crazy uh, monologue today. Just uh, kind of want to give you guys an update on uh, what's going on with the with the Bad Wolves. Just came off a about a ten day run. We did nine shows in ten days in America. A couple festivals, a couple off dates, and it's really interesting to see how things have evolved. You know, we haven't toured the states. Um, I guess you know a real tour probably in four or five months. And it's really cool seeing the band kind of, we, I can feel it. You can just feel it and see it, that everything's kind of going to the next level. All the work we did last year is starting to pay off. You know, we did a couple headline shows and people are really singing along now. They're singing along to the album songs, not just the, the songs we did videos for, the singles. And doing these festivals, just seeing the, the massive crowds and, People, the way people were responding, it's it's really interesting because coming from a band like God forbid that was had did well and had some success, but it was always kind of seeing seeing other bands make that step and have that impact, and it's it's very odd to be on the other side of that that coin, um, and it's very exciting, especially considering. The, the new material, we're, so the record is almost done. We're getting in mixes. Our boy Joseph McQueen is uh, knocking it out of the park and hearing these new songs and the steps we've taken, the improvements the band has made in songwriting and how focused everything is. Um, it's like when I see the development the band's having right now and this record's not even out, I'm like, when this record comes out, this shit could get crazy. Uh, and, uh, I'm kind of crossing my fingers and, you know, I, I'm one of those guys trying not to, uh, you know, as it cash the check before the check is pit, you know, get the money before the, you know what I'm saying? You know, count your, your chickens for the eggs have, um, have walked out of their, their, their hen house. You know what I mean? But, uh, <laughs> the point is not to get too ahead of yourself, but no, I, it's seeing this stuff kind of close up. Um, has been uh, really mind blowing and, and really fun. We had we actually had a lot of fun on that run, and uh, we leave in about a week to go to Europe. Do basically the same kind of thing: a bunch of festivals, a bunch of headline shows, and you know, it's just a, it's a really really fun time. So we do that, then we have a few weeks off, then we start this tour with 
Papa Roach and also do a couple festivals in Wisconsin. So it's about to get real busy in the in the Bad Wolves camp, and I'm I'm very excited to for this record to to get out because I can't wait to start playing some of this stuff live. It's so much. It's uh, been developed in a way so that it will come across a lot better in the live setting, playing these big venues. And, um, you know, we were just able to focus more on, on what we want the band to be. So it's very, very exciting. Uh, I'm not going to bore you guys too much with Bad Wolves news. What I'm going to do is actually introduce this week's band sponsor. It's an LA-based band. They are called Blue Midnight. And I'm going to play a song for you entitled...
So that was Blue Midnight with their track Nightshade. I actually really enjoyed that 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 chorus. That's a that's some Doc Coil stuff right there. I love the the chord changes, and I actually thought the the lyric was was very catchy as well. Kind of had some Avenged Sevenfold Dream Theater vibes there, but you know, female fronted, and it's good. We had I think this is back to back episodes with a. Uh, female-led bands and i and that's awesome thank you thank you ladies for coming and contributing to the to the x-man show and and uh and showing your talents i think it's really really awesome and uh i actually met the lead singer justine who is the the main singer and songwriter because they opened up for um dave silvera's band bias and i saw them recently i thought they were really really cool but yeah if you want to check them out please go to their website blue midnight music Dot com on Instagram. They are Blue Midnight dot music, Facebook Blue Midnight. Um, they have a record that came out last year entitled Eternal Wish. And you can check that out on all major platforms, Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, and Bandcamp. And the band also has some shows that we're playing at the Whiskey A Go Go in Hollywood, California on August 20, I'm sorry, August 2nd, excuse me there. And they will also be playing Aftershock Festival in Sacramento on October 13th, day before my birthday, with bands like Corn, Tool, Slipknot. Definitely check them out. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show. And if you'd like to sponsor the show, you know the spiel, hit me up on social media or drop me an email at the podcast at gmail.com. Definitely, that was cool. Anyway, Let's intro our guest. We have Mr. David Silvera, drummer of a band called Bias and formerly of a band you probably know called Corn. You know, this was a really interesting conversation. He was someone that has been in the back of my mind for a while. And uh, sometimes, you know, rarely I do I interview people I don't know personally. And this was one of those times. And luckily, a friend of mine uh, linked me and, and David together. And I was really appreciative, you know, and because I don't think he does a lot of these types of conversations. And, uh, and yeah, I was, it was, I thought, I think you guys are really going to like this conversation. If you're, if you're a fan of his, he really opens up and talks about things that I don't think he talks about that often. So, you know, I, I just, uh, I was really appreciative of that and, you know, really want to thank him for giving his time. So, you know, I'm not going to, run my mouth too much. I think let's let the conversation do the talking. Check out my conversation with Mr. David Silvera. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Hey, everyone. This is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. 
hey, hey, brother, thanks so much for, for 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 doing this, man. It definitely means a lot, you know. Absolutely, thanks for having me. Of course, of course, man. I've I've been a fan for a very, very, very long time, going back to going back to high school, and um, you know, I I remember actually the first the real way I see I heard corn back in the day, but the way I really got into it was from the home video. Just getting to Who's see now. Yes. Yeah. Just getting to see all you guys' personalities. And uh, you know, I, I kinda had a perception of the band and then seeing there was a one scene uh, where you guys are rehearsing Good God. And I couldn't be- and I was like, this is the heaviest thing I've ever heard in my life. I just couldn't because you kind of get a perception that at the, at least at the time that the band was more mainstream or kind of in that and then you heard i was like no these guys are fucking heavy you yeah know? When we shot that video at um, a studio called indigo ranch in malibu where we recorded corn's first record yeah. and uh, life is peachy so all that footage is between 94 and 96. right on yeah, man right on that video. But yeah but that was that was very inspirational even my my old band god forbid we we kind of stole a part <laughs> no, well, well just just the the idea of that uh the the bridge breakdown uh, just just something about one thing I, I loved uh about what you guys did uh was dynamics right yeah. like being able to play bring it really down and then let have things I- explode you know and that yeah. that kind of yin yin and yang yeah you know? we definitely tried to to emphasize that um so actually let's you know what let's let's talk about let's not go too far back in the day let's let's talk about uh right now you have a band called bias yes and uh I was uh, familiar with uh, the previous, I guess, iteration, which was Core Ten, because Joe, I, I know your guitar player, because I know his his old band that that, that he, he was in. And so, how did Bias come together out of Core Ten? Um, we let's see. We uh, after Core Ten, we had Mike Martin come in and be our second guitar player, and we just started writing music. And we put out this uh, singer search on the internet, and people would send in uh, clips with them singing other people's songs, just or just them singing their own music, whatever. And they would send them to us and we would pick out people that we thought were, you know, even moderately worth trying, giving a try to. So I think we probably send some of our tracks here for, to about um, maybe 10 guys. Mm-hmm. And we asked them just to do whatever they wanted. And then when they would send it back, if we thought it was even remotely good, we would send them some suggestions, you know, have conversations with them and ask them to go at it again. And just from doing that, we basically came down to Richard and uh, he sent us, I think it was a second, his second pass at a song. And we heard it and we thought, yeah, this is the guy we want to get him. So we had him come down and I think, I think we rehearsed for maybe four or five hours. And I think by the end of rehearsal, everyone was looking at each other and just giving everyone kind of the nod of yeah this is the guy let's let's, let's tell him let's, let's do this well I, I think you know just from listening to both bands that's definitely a, a market improvement like his vocals really sta- oh. stand out that, that actually reminds me a little bit maybe this sounds weird of like hoobastank a little bit do you ever listen to hoobastank that singer um, i've heard a couple of their songs but i don't really i don't really see the not the band not the band but just his vocals like like just he has a really rich Full, like just really cool voice and it, it really stood out about the band I thought it was really cool yeah he's got a great voice right on so how far along are you guys with uh, whatever you're working on um, we have I think 11 completed songs and we've tracked three in the studio and we have a few shows coming up and I think we're going to go back in the recording studio and try to get you know eventually get all, all 11 songs tracked but we'll uh, probably do 
maybe three or four and then mix them and finish you know do the whole recording and then mix them and then maybe go back and do three or four more until we get about 10 we'll probably have like 14 songs so we'll probably um just do them in like little blocks yeah uh it's funny talking about the the production one thing i kind of noticed is uh you know you listen to it and it and it has a very modern production um and thinking about you know your your history you know especially like those ross robinson productions which was yeah. so raw so natural do you like how do you feel about that kind of transition between how production has changed especially with the drums um do you miss it do you miss the more natural or do you like the new kind of more sampley kind of uh, drums that kind of cut in a different way uh, I, I think if, honestly i think i pretty i pretty much recorded the same way as, as i always have yeah um i don't I don't play to a click track in my head. Mm -hmm. um, I actually have a watch. A watch? I, a watch that keeps tempo on my on my arm. Does and, it, and do you feel it or do you just see it? It, it pulses, okay. yeah. It's called a pulse something, I don't even know. So I, I use that just to keep me in the in the pocket just to make sure I don't run away with something or drag too too far. But it, um, but I, I, I don't record with any click in my ear, nothing like that. And, and the watch is good. It, I mean, we've taken live recordings and sampled them up to studio recordings, live video recordings, yeah. and sample them up to the live. And they're they're right on. So now, is this just with it's your good. newer bands, or also you would use that with Corn as well? No, just uh, just with this band. I didn't use any kind of click or anything with Corn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, that's what I'm saying. It's just the, you know, because me with my old bands, we did our first couple records, no click, you know, very little samples, and you know, and it, and it's just kind of interesting to to see how much that is changed you know throughout the years one of the questions for for years i always heard the enunciation as your name is dave silvera but then i was looking no it's spelled silver silveria so how do you pronounce it silvera the i is silent i have no idea why it's even there okay well there you go so now i don't feel so bad i, I thought all these years i was i was pronouncing it wrong and uh a lot of times when you, you do it it's it's a spanish name and um i don't think i've ever met anyone from Spain that has an I in their last name. Yeah. I don't even know why it's there. Well, you just, you know, just take it out, you know? Yeah, right. Just, you know, get rid of that that damn, that damn thing. Yeah, it doesn't serve any purpose. Um, So what are your actual goals these days with, you know, doing a doing a band? I mean, because you, you had a, a while where you, where you weren't in a band and like, what's kind of, the, what's the motivation to actually just get out? Because you're kind of, you know, I've done what you're doing, which is you have one band end, and that's really what this show is about. That's why it's called the X-Man, because I was yeah. doing some shit, and I had to do some other shit, you know? And in that space, um, what is like, what really motivates you to say, hey, I'm gonna go out here, be, get back in the trenches, because it's not easy starting a new band, you know? Yeah, um, <clears throat> well, uh, when I when I ended Corn, I, um, I already owned one restaurant, and I opened a second restaurant, so for a few years, I was, instead of doing music, I was just focusing on running my restaurants. And then um, I started, I just started really missing playing music. So I just uh, took a bedroom from my house, put up a bunch of sound pads, set up my drum set and started playing. And then I got tired of having to blast, you know, headphones on my head to play to music. So then I called some buddies and said, hey, come over, let's, let's play some music. And we went from, from a, a bedroom in my house to this rehearsal studio yeah and then that formed and did all that stuff and then we found you know ended up with this with this uh bias band um and i, I think it was just uh it kind of got in i just basically kind of it kind of just naturally pulled me back in yeah because um 
I don't really know why um, it took so long, but it, nobody really knows this either. But um, the last year I was with Corn, um, it was a day we were shooting a video. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, I was working out at my house and I was doing squats with dumbbells in my hand. And I bent down, I looked up to look, look at what was on the TV and I arced my back backwards and I broke my back. Um, I broke the two, the, the bones, uh, they're called pars bones, the small bones that connect your vertebrae. I broke four pars bones on my lower back and I, and I got up and I couldn't even stand up straight. It hurt so bad. So I was super hunched over, like really down low. And I went in and I was able to get myself in the shower and I drove up to, to, to film a video that same day. So on my drive- With a broken back. With a broken back, yes. So on, on the drive up, I'm, I call my manager. I'm like, I need some pain pills. I need a masseuse. My back is so bad right now. So I got there and had a massage waiting for me and some pain pills. And I got through the day. And then the next day, my back was really hurting, but it, it wasn't nearly as bad. Like the, the pain kind of went away. Um, so I actually kind of ignored it for a few months. And then it, it started really flaring up. It Did really, you know it was broken at that time? No, I didn't. Okay. I didn't. So it was bothering me so bad. Um, this was right about the time when I when I left from corn. It was bothering me so bad. I went to an orthopedic and had X-rays done. And um, from the X-ray, the guy he just said it looked like my back was out of place really bad or something. It was kind of a cloudy X-ray, and he just started giving me a bunch of pain pills. So over the next year, I I, I just took like massive amounts of uh, oxys and um, Vicodins every day. And it got to the point I was taking a ridiculous amount. So it was so bad. So I um, I looked up another back specialist at UC Irvine, and I went in to see this guy. And I said, my back is so messed up. I'm taking so many pain pills. I, I can't even function like this. So he took a fresh X-ray and he put it up next to my old X-ray. And he and the new one was much clearer. And he goes, see your old X-ray, see your new one. He goes, I can tell you right now by the looks of your old X-ray, your back has been broken for a year and a half. So that's insane. Um, they took. They have two screws on my lowest vertebrae and a, and a synthetic disc between my lowest two vertebrae because the disc was gone too. It was, it was bone on bone. Mm -hmm. And then two screws in the top vertebrae and then two pins that connect it, you know, like a, almost like a clamp, clamping the, both the, the, lower, lower, the lowest two vertebrae together. Um, so that was basically like the last four or five months in quarantine for another year after that. It was ridiculous amounts of lower back pain and so I, even, I, even after the surgery you still had a lot of pain no, no the recovery was the recovery was like six or seven months to could recover you, could you play or no no i could not play okay. at all it was really bad yeah. i i only i could i had to sit down on a chair in my in my shower to even take a shower i couldn't even stand in the shower yet and i had to use a walker you know yeah. like a little surround little wheels on it shit i had to scoot around on those things for like four months before I could even walk and put and put weight on it. So that was the actual impetus for the quote unquote hiatus was the the back issues. It, it, yeah, it did start like that. Okay, yeah. Well, it's funny as you say that I'm my back went out a week ago and I, I'm supposed to go see a spinal uh, surgeon next week or with an orthopedic surgeon next week because uh, I have like a legion on my spine. I'm all jacked up. I hope I don't think it's broken, but I definitely have a lot yeah. of issues. I didn't know it was broken. I was misdiagnosed. So as I said, I, yeah. I was taking massive amounts of painkillers for a year after being misdiagnosed. And then went and had another x-ray done. And he's told, he, the guy told me, he goes, I can see your back is broken from across the room. It's so bad. That's so th that took, uh, fuck, that was like a year, over a year to even recover. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people, you know, if you don't have back problems or any, any kind of chronic pain, is that it how it affects you mentally. You know, it's, oh, absolutely. it's, it's a really 
especially you, you're a pretty athletic guy who likes being active. You know, and myself, I like playing basketball and working out and doing stuff. And then when you can't, when you're immobilized and it just yeah. takes all that extra energy just to get out of bed or just to do very basic things that that can be very, that can really put you in a state of depression. Absolutely. It took, uh, it, it got so bad. Um, I literally could walk, leave my house maybe, and I could walk maybe 50 feet and I would have to sit down on the, on the sidewalk or wherever I was for like two or three minutes and then get up and walk 20, 30 feet and sit down. That's, I waited that long because the doctor misdiagnosed me and had me taking so many painkillers. Yeah. It got that bad where I finally said, there's no way my back is okay and I'm sick and tired of taking all these painkillers. That's when I went to uh, the doctor at UC Irvine and did another x-ray and he said, your back has been broken for over a year. Did you ever get an MRI? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not, not extra. Sorry, MRI. So yeah, yeah. yeah, I we saw it on MRI. So it was, um, it, it was like a year and a half of walking around with a messed up back, and then another six, eight months of recovery or something. So how, like that. after recovered, how did you feel? Well, I feel really good now. The only thing that sucks is because I have this hardware in my back. When they cut your spine open, I mean, you're, you're, sorry, when they cut the tissue behind your your spine open, it, it lets air in, and the reaction to letting air in with hardware in your back is arthritis. Yeah. From, from the from the the oxygen hitting the uh, the bone and the and the metal in the back, it causes arthritis. So now I have arthritis in my lower back, and um, I get these. Uh, they're called like pain block. It's a procedure they do at UC Irvine where they they use an ultrasound. They guide in a needle and they burn the nerves hmm. to, to block pain. I have it done like once a year, so that's kind of a. So how it, it's it's an ongoing issue. So so, so so between all that and then you yeah, I noticed just physically like you're like bulkier now. You're like. You're a big dude. Like you look like Conan right now. Like, uh, do, has that? How has that altered the way you play? Um. Well, I, 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 it's kind of funny. When I play, I don't look like I'm hitting as hard as I used to, but I'm actually hitting a lot harder. Yeah. Well, just, you're, just you because, look stronger. You look like you're a lot stronger now. Yeah, absolutely. Just, just because of the force behind, you know, moving my arms and all that, I'm yeah. actually hitting harder than I ever did before. But I, I don't look like it when I'm playing. Yeah. But how does it feel in terms of? Um, kind of smoothness and flexibility and things like that um it, it feels really good i mean luckily there's no problems with my my arms or legs or anything anymore yeah. that's never you know it's only stuck to my spine so it's good do you think it, it or maybe the doctors told us was this from actually working out or was it chronic things built up through just playing through the years and everything or the whole Honestly, touring lifestyle i think um because i had experienced a lot of back pain before that day um, so I think there was already an underlying condition kind of start, starting to already sit, kind of come in. I don't really know what it was, but that day is the actual day that I, that I for sure broke it when I yeah. was, I was lifting weights and I fell backwards. That was, um, that was, was, it, was it like too much weight or was it a normal amount of weight that you're used to? I don't even remember how much weight I was holding, but what it got me is I was looking up at my TV and my, my back arched completely backwards where I fell down behind me, you know, from, from a squatted position, I fell on my back with the weights on top of me. Yeah. And um, that's when it happened. Absolutely, it was it was it was probably the most pain I could ever remember being in. It's crazy. Yeah. Wow. And so obviously somewhere d during that uh, kind of recovery and you know what happened what what happened next. You know the the temporary um, hiatus became permanent. Yes. Right. And was and was that your decision or was that the band's decision? Um, you know what what happened was. Um, 
I'm not really sure actually, actually what happened. We just had a communication breakdown. I just quit talking to them and they quit talking to me and, and that was kind of it. Yeah. Do you, do, you, I, do you think there's something about when you're in a band for a really long time and you're in a band that's successful, that does that success some, you know, divide members? Does it, or you know, or, or is it just, you're just around each other so long, you're just, you're not really friends in the same way you were? Uh, well, I, I think maybe a little bit of both. Yeah. I mean, definitely at the be beginning of the band, everyone was a lot closer as friends for years. And it wasn't until we really got successful on maybe our fourth record. Um, and that's when like everyone, we, everyone split up. We, we didn't share a tour bus anymore. Everybody had their own buses. And so we weren't around each other really before or after the shows because everyone had their own bus. So I think it kind of started out with not really communicating that much because we were all, all of us would be on our own buses and occasionally we'd even stay at different hotels. I don't even know why that ever happened. Yeah. But um, was that like one person's idea? Someone brought up in a band meeting. It was like, hey guys, uh, we're making some money now. Do you want to get different buses? Or was everyone kind of happy to have that? Well, no, we were happy to have, I don't remember who even suggested it, but the main difference is you know, on a normal bus, you have bunks. Yeah. And you can usually three on top of each other, and you can take out one of them and just make them two big yeah, bunks. Yeah, the condo. Uh, yeah, the condos, they call them. Condo bunks. So yeah. having our own buses made it where the entire back lounge was a... was a Bedroom. A full bedroom, yeah. Full bathroom, shower, sink, you know, TV, everything. To totally self-contained. And the bus itself only had one bunk on or two bunks on each side of it instead of having four six whatever yeah so people bring like their family or like their personal yeah. assistant so like so, the, so every band bus had a total of four bunks two on each side and a bedroom in the back so it was so the buses became way bigger because you know both most buses have two or three rows of bunks yeah which makes a small front lounge a small back lounge we only there was only one row of bunks on each side of the bus so it was like you know basically doubled the size of the inside of the bus yeah so i think everybody really appreciated that and definitely going from sleeping in a bunk to sleeping in a bed that was it's hard to go back right <laughs> yeah it's hard i mean yeah it's yeah but um i mean that was really nice everyone got their own space but i think at some point we it, i'm not really sure there was never any reason i can think of but it just seemed like at a point we kind of stop communicating with each other like we had in the past yeah and i think everyone kind of grew apart a little bit and um you know people band members would start um kind of being kind of demanding about things mm -hmm. and instead of talking as a band individuals would start calling our managers and, and talking to them about things and it kind of broke up the communication between all of us as a band and i think once that started to happen the relationships between everyone kind of steadily went on a decline. Yeah. And I think ultimately because of that situation of everyone kind of not communicating anymore, I think that's probably what drove me to after hurting my back, um, taking the hiatus. I think that's kind of what drove me to not really have the fire in me to go back just because the communication had broken down to the point where, um, it was almost, it wasn't even a band anymore. It was just kind of like a business. And it wasn't, you know, we weren't, um, weren't really even talking to each other anymore. And um, it just kind of sucked all the fun out of it. It, it wasn't uh, it wasn't nearly as much fun as it used to be. And, you know, it kind of made it where it was almost like faking, being passionate sometimes about things. Yeah. Had that had that been building up, that feeling, like even before the injury? Uh, oh, absolutely. That, was, that started happening. Um, 
around 2000, maybe 2004. Mm-hmm. And um, I left in um, December of 2006, so basically 2007. But yeah, it, it, it had been building up. And um, yeah, I wish everyone would have just stayed in communication with each other. Uh, you know, it was, um, I mean, it, when we started the band, you know, we were all just really good friends. It was a really great, great relationship. And you were young, right? You When the band started, you yeah. were really young. I was um, 20, I think 20 when we started. Yeah, 20. I think the other guys were maybe two years older than me. Okay, that's not that much of a difference. I thought it was a- <laughs> no. I think I think I think maybe Reggie is maybe three years older than me, and the other guys were two years. Yeah, so not that much different. A little bit, but um, yeah, that's what I think. That's um, that, that kind of uh, that bums me out the most is that we lost communication with each other. And that yeah. kind of drove you know drove a wedge. I'm sure it wasn't even intentional on anyone's part. It just kind of how things happen. Well, I mean, I mean, just, you know, from what I, I know about the band and, you know, a lot of the, you know, that thing that's kind of cool from at least my fan perspective is that a lot of the guys are pretty vocal about their drug issues and uh, just a, what, you know, what's all the fucked up things that have happened in their lives. Guys are starting families. And I'm sure there's a lot that kind of pulls you out <coughs> of that, you know, when you're when you're 20 years old and you're in a band, you're, you know, you're like a gang. You're, yeah, absolutely. you know, you're. You don't really have the band is everything, and and as you're as you get older and you get more successful, you just kind of take on more individual responsibility. You got you know you have your own bullshit. You know you're dealing with. Everybody's got wives and kids and all all that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I can I can imagine. You know how you know how that can kind of affect everything. And um, no, it's uh it's interesting because you know I'm I'm in a situation where I'm, I have a band that's having some success, and it and there's certain things like. I look at not even just our band, but other bands I've seen where kind of the more successful the band gets, then the team that's behind you is also, there's that pressure, right? Like, all right, got to make a record, got to go on tour. And you guys, I've noticed, especially in the, the records you were part of, which is, you know, what, the first seven, seven records? I think seven, yeah. You know, it was, you guys did not, t- it was like album, touring, album, tour. you guys didn't really take a lot of time in, nope. was I- that self-imposed or was that, the team, their team around you, kind of putting pressure, or did... no? I, I, all, all of us, we would, um, we basically, for from nineteen ninety three until two thousand seven, I think the most consecutive time I had at home was maybe three months. Um, I, when I say three months, I mean of not not even rehearsing or writing, yeah. to just being at home. Um, like literally from 1993 until 2007, maybe three months of just being at home, no rehearsal, no nothing. And all the other time we were either in our rehearsal studio writing music or in a recording studio recording music or on tour. And I think we just wanted to try to try our best to get new music out like every two years. So basically we would tour for maybe 14 to 15 months on, on a record, go home, maybe take a week, maybe two at the very most off and then go right in back into our studio writing for four, five days a week, making new music, and then from there go right into the rehearsal recording studio, record it, and before the album was even done or mixed, we would have tour dates lined up, and we would just keep doing it, just banging out every every time. I think our goal was to try to get a record out every two to two and a half years, mm-hmm. and not let a lot of time go by because we didn't want people to forget about us. Yeah, Moment, um, all that that precious momentum. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got to you got to ride. You got to ride it hard. And um, I mean, it takes takes a lot of work. It was, 
I mean, you think that being in a big success, successful band would mean that you get to lounge around and you know hang out all day and go party and hang out or whatever. It was it was not even like that. It was it was a lot of work. Yeah, and one of the interesting things too is I I uh, I saw them not too long ago, and it's being in a physical heavy band. I think has a different toll on you, you know, as opposed to if we were in like Radiohead or something, just kind of strumming chords or whatever, where you can kind of it, it it's less physically demanding. And I just can't can't imagine what kind of all kinds of physical issues guys like i'm in a band like that too that if i was up there not moving around it would look it wouldn't look good it's you yeah. know part of when you create intense music you kind of there's a physicality to it yeah you gotta you gotta put put the stage vibe out there you gotta get physical and um for me playing drums i think being the most physical in the band uh especially then when i said about my, my my back how bad it got yeah it, it turned into such a bad situation that uh i don't even know why at this point that i let it go for a year and a half without getting another opinion that, that was ridiculous that was that was a problem that i let happen i should have gotten another opinion but um yeah it became so so brutal on my body to even keep playing it was just at some point my body just said you got to take it just take it down a notch you gotta just relax for a bit yeah but yeah you're right it's definitely tolling physically absolutely so you, you were saying that, you know, you kind of lost a little of the, um, the fire and kind of the inspiration um, behind the band. But with regard to drums and you were you kind of you, you, you kind of slowly separated from from the band. You were running your restaurants and things like that. Um, was that like headspace around that, you know, because I because I, a, a lot of times with people in bands, especially guys like you and myself, who were in one band for from a certain part of our youth to like by the time we left, we were grown men you know we yeah. you know and a lot of our identity is wrapped up in that being the person from blank right right um you know did did you deal with any was that difficult to kind of all of a sudden not be that guy from that thing um no honestly because when i when i was at home it was just kind of it felt like i needed to take the time off yeah you know my, my injury was so bad and i was in so much pain I, I thought, you know, it was kind of a, a little bit of a shock to the system thinking, okay, so I'm just home now and I'm just going to be home for a while. and you feel free? You're like, I'm free. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it was it was weird. But I mean, it wasn't really happy free because yeah. I was in pain. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was bad. Ha having four broken bones in your back, that shit hurts. I mean, yeah, but the, running restaurants, that's not easy. That must be a lot of work too. Well, a lot of work and a lot of sitting because of yeah. the pain in my back. But uh, yeah, running a restaurant, that's a whole other story. That's that's. It's it's nonsense. Let me just tell you, <laughs> running a restaurant, having sixty employees that that you have to, uh, you know, watch over and talk to them and train and all that shit. It was a freaking nightmare. Were you there like every day, like running it? Running I, it? I, I was there like six days a week. Yeah. Oh shit. It was. Uh, it, I just got so over it. I, I I sold all of it. I got out of it. Yeah. I, I don't think, think I would. That's one business. I a because uh, you know, food. You know, it's it's the has some of the smallest uh, profit margins. Absolutely. It's so hard to make money. And it just seems like anytime you watch any, any of those like kitchen shows, it just seems so stressful. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it got stressful, absolutely. I mean, we made all, almost all of our money from alcohol sales at yeah. the bar. So why not just open a bar? Uh, I mean, I, I guess we could have done that, but I, I didn't even <laughs> ever really consider that at the time. I, just, I was just going for the, you know, for the food and the whole deal. Yeah. But that was, um, 
Yeah, that was not fun. I do not miss having like 60 to 70 employees after having to, you know, talk to each one of them and explain things and hear all their excuses. And so their, I, heard their, the, see, I thought the key was this, is that you basically you get a business certain level, then you hire a manager and then you peace out and you go move on to the next thing. And you, then it just runs. But I guess if you do that, then you have to, unless you have someone capable, then it'll all yeah, fall I mean, apart. I did, I did have general managers at both of the restaurants. So it, it was it wasn't just me all the time. I had a general manager all the time. But I mean... If you really want to pay attention to your your profits and all of your stuff, you have to physically be there and yeah. reading sales reports and all. It's, it's so tedious. Was it's, it successful? Yeah, absolutely. It yeah. was good. Um, yeah, when I when I sold them, it was uh, it was because another area of downtown Huntington Beach was being developed, and the city was slowly taking liquor license, um, lowering the the time they could sell liquor. Mm -hmm. So at first it was 2 a.m. and then they rolled it back to midnight and it killed like six of the bars on Main Street. It was ridiculous. Just because of a new development openings, I think they're probably getting... It's like zoning, like they can only yeah. be within certain radiuses. Well, I'm sure that the uh, the people from the new development were probably greasing the, the yeah, local politicians. Yeah, a lot of politics. Yeah, so as soon as they cut off two hours of our alcohol sales per night, it was, it was not even worth it anymore. Yeah, well... Um, one thing about you I've noticed, you know, whether it's, you know, doing like the, the modeling stuff and, you know, with the restaurants, I mean, have you always been kind of business minded or trying try to take the things you were doing with, with the band and then utilize that to like get involved in other things? Is that something that comes natural to you? Um, how do I explain it? Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just have always... I think been more conscious of the business side just as a person than than the other guys of the band um like when we first got our managers i think I, everyone kind of looked to me like i should like they, thinking that i should know which 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 manager to go with whatever and i would offer my reasons for every everything and then even actually when um we were offered our record deals we, we i think we played a show a showcase somewhere in hollywood and i think four labels approached us in one night and all four labels said they wanted to give us a deal and for some reason everyone looked at me saying which which deal should we take i don't and it, it wasn't even intentional i don't even really realize if anyone else even really knew that they were kind of putting it off on me but when it came down to which label we would accept and which managers we would go with it was always my kind of my input that I pushed it over the line and i don't think anyone even intentionally even meant to, to do that and i don't think i and i certainly didn't mean to you know put myself in a position that i was kind of uh you know calling the shots for everybody i think it was just uh just from our earlier days before we had a management i think when it came to the business stuff i think it usually got delegated to me just kind of naturally and it, it just came, kind of yeah, happened came, came natural to you actually let's, yeah. let's kind of talk about that that era the uh the era around the time you guys got signed because i'm I'm so fascinated about these periods, like these kind of special periods in, in, in music history that I wasn't there for, right? And um, and in, 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 in many ways, especially now with that we have perspective on it and this term, this genre called new metal that everyone pretty much gives Korn the credit for creating. Um, I've heard that. How do you, do, do you feel any way about that? Is that you not want that tag or? Um. Well, I mean, I could only think, well, I, I hope it's a compliment. I mean, I don't think anyone's trying to say anything negative about us. Well, but it depends, I guess. If you, I, I, I like the genre, but I, but to me, in many ways, there's certain bands that are 
in a way, like, to me, you guys started, a, you know, there's only maybe a handful of bands or artists ever that you can say that one artist started blank. And that's yeah. pretty insane. It, it speaks to a level yeah. of originality that it just doesn't happen very often. Yes, and it, I'm not even sure how what, how I feel about it, but I know I, I just started seeing all these magazine writers saying the inventors of new metal, Corin, and um, I don't ever really think it's really sank in yet that it was even possible that our our band could be the inventors of a whole new genre of music. It just says, it seems so weird. It's like kind of me trying to take myself out of the position and look into it from a different perspective and. I don't. I don't really comprehend it. It's kind of weird. Well, it's. I guess what I when I think about it, you know, and you know, that's it. This is me more as just like a, a fan of music and a fan of music history and especially this, this genre, right? So at least around the time you guys came out of before, you had Faith No More, Primus, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Helmet, absolutely, um, and then maybe Tool, like a little bit, like like early '90s, yeah, and then you know, so. You know, but the scene, because were you, were you guys mainly playing in Bakersfield or were you also doing a lot of L.A. stuff? No, we, we um, when I was 17, we actually moved to Burbank from Bakersfield. Okay, so you were more in L.A. Yeah. We, and what was, so what was the scene like? What were like the other bands that you were like playing with or? Well, when we first moved to L.A. and we were playing shows, um, th that was at the end of the 80s hair band. So it would be, you know, we'd be playing all over Hollywood and there would be guys with, in spandex tights with bunch of hairspray in their hair you know walking up and down the streets right next to us and it, it was kind of weird you know we were it, it was strange um and then when we formed corn which was like 1992 it was kind of in the grunge era yeah um so would you play with like grunge type bands or would you guys do a show would you open up for helmet or something like that or is that um we actually did open up for helmet one time at the whiskey yeah yeah that was, that was good uh Going back to the genre thing, I think I think the reason why they say that we invented new metal when there's obvious other bands out there like Faith No More, Helmet, Chili Peppers, Tool, I think it was probably because our style of music was more groove-oriented than a lot of those other bands and um, like more of a bouncing kind of you know groove. And we were... Um, we were like I was probably maybe the first rock band that I know of maybe maybe there's somebody else I don't know but I, I don't know of any other rock band that, that incorporated 808 sampling yeah. to their music before us I, I don't know change the game I don't think I don't think I ever heard Faith No More or Tool or uh, Primus or anybody ever well, that drop 808 the, the seven strings and the, the low yeah. the low tuning um, well, and not for nothing you guys were the biggest difference is I think a lot of those bands are still considered rock bands. Yeah. And there's some, you guys are just heavier and more metal. It just, it just felt like a more, yeah, we, it was the aggression level was a lot higher, I think, than most of those bands. Yeah. How, how that happened is um, the guitar player, Steve Vai, he, he came out with the seven string guitar. Yeah. The universe. Yeah. I, and, I know um, all about it. And um, Brian and James both got the Steve Vai, Ibanez model, you know, and, um, and then they drop tuned from there from the seven yeah, from the b to the a yeah so we're playing everything in a 
and then I'm throwing 808s, and then we have the singer that was, you know, to completely original. I don't really know of anybody else that sounded like John. So was the 808, was that a, uh, a hip hop thing? You guys borrowed that? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I just got a, a Roland sampler, and I, I started out with one pad and a, and a little, Roland, uh, little Roland brain. And then that ended up eventually going into like four pads on my my left, a, a second kick drum on my right, a, you know, electronic kick drum, mm -hmm. another pad on my right, so trigger all kinds of samples and and sounds. Um, Were you listening to a lot of hip hop back then? Yeah, I was actually. Because um, obviously the groove, that's what you kind of think about is yeah. that kind of that head nod, you know. Yeah, that's. I think I think probably that, and then just John's unique style of. Uh, of singing and then our, our dropped tune guitars, the seven strings, because before Steve Vai, I don't think anyone else was doing seven string guitar stuff. And I, I don't no, even I'm think- No, I'm thinking that's, is, that's the invention. I think, I don't want to speak, so, so if I'm wrong, hope someone please hit me up and correct me. But I that, think Steve Vai invented it, yeah. yeah. Well, there's a song, so I'm a guitar player and, uh, you know, there's a Steve Vai song, Bad Horsey, that was, it was, it was the first time I heard that fucking heavy shit. Super low, right? Yeah, and it was. Yeah, you know, he's a genius. You know, that's why he's Steve Vai. Yeah, that's when we heard it too. We our guys were like, "What is that noise?" <laughs> and, and I think we got some magazine. They read it was Steve Vai with his new seven string guitar, and then they went went out and bought the Steve Vai model, and then they dropped to him. We're like, "Wow, this is a whole other, whole new category of sound." So we just pushed it, and then I started throwing in 808s, and um, everything was focused around a groove you know, groove oriented music. And I, I think that's probably what set us apart because most of our, our early songs, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I think the reason why people call us inventors of new metal is because the tempos we would do our groove kind of, you know, kind of head bobbing tempos and then dropping 808s in as opposed to most rock bands would do not, I don't know why, but they wouldn't really do groove tempos where you'd be bobbing your head to it really. Um, yeah, I was actually listening to some Faith No More on the way here, and, and I'm thinking, kind of going along to the beat, going, wow, this is not really like groove stuff like we used to do. Uh, literally driving here earlier, I was listening well, it's to the, It's the evolution. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, th those bands had a huge influence on us, absolutely. Faith No More, uh, Chili Peppers, uh, all, all those bands, you know, the big time influence. But I, I, it just feels weird. I don't know. I just haven't really, even to this day, came to grips with someone saying that we invented a genre of music. I, well, I just... I'll, I'll tell you what, where I lived, I live in New Jersey and uh, we had a station WSOU out there and they used to, you know, play you guys and everything. And it was, it was literally like night and day, like everyone, the way everyone dressed changed the way, you know what I'm saying? All of a sudden everyone had dreads. Everyone was the, you know, they got the big, like it, it was, it was like a neutron bomb in the, in the heavy music world, you know? And, yeah. and I, and I don't know if I've, seen anything like that since in terms of a cultural shift right like we haven't had a you know because the truth is in the last 20 years you know rock hasn't been the prominent genre it's really no. been more about hip-hop it's been about edm and those culturally those are kind of moving the conversation absolutely um but at that time that was the last time you know that was the last time heavy music was the biggest shit in the world you know what i'm saying yeah and, and um after we put out our first record, that was still when you know people were buying physical CDs. Of course, yeah. way before you know the, the iTunes and stuff came along. So the record label they would employ 
college students all over the country and the world, in fact. And in every city we would go in, we would have a college representative that would come meet us. And they were promoters on the, street the, team. on the street team, on the local college radio stations. I mean, I don't even think they even have those people employed anymore no. that I know of. So we had all these street team connections. And throughout our f- entire first record, um, up until early 1995, at this point, no major radio stations were even giving us any airplay whatsoever. Um, but because of our label connections, which was Epic Sony, we had um, we were doing some pretty good sized tours. And then just before um, we recorded our second record, all of a sudden somebody, I don't even remember what city it was, but somebody got a breakout and got us on a main, a main rock station. And then all of a sudden it was like overnight, it was everywhere. So I have one of your early tours, actually a couple of your early tours I want to ask you about. Uh, one of your first tours was with Sick of It All. Yes. Right? And so one thing, one of the things, that, so at the time when I really got into you guys, I was uh, I was in the hardcore scene. So I was, that, that, that was kind of my world. Um, what was, you know, coming, because you guys, like I said, at the time, you didn't sound like anything. So almost any tour you did, you were going to be a standout, almost yeah. weirdo kind of band. But was did that was it really kind of touch and go those early years like doing tours with like random bands absolutely i mean our, yeah that's, did you get a lot of shit um like any fights or anything like we, the people? We've, we've had people in the crowd yelling at us and throwing throwing shit at the stage before i mean that absolutely happened during our first early years i mean we we did a tour with uh uh house of pain and biohazard see but i feel like that one you do really well on uh, there, there was a few cities that didn't really receive us very <laughs> yeah. well, but I mean, overall, it was pretty good. I mean, the, it, what about when you toured Megadeth? Was that um, tough? That was a little bit. I think the crowd for Megadeth that time was a little bit older than than our crowd would have been. Yeah. So I, Megadeth, I think the crowds are kind of tough for us on Megadeth. Um, and even after Megadeth, we toured with Ozzy. Yeah. And even older. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we were doing arenas with Ozzy and. Um, it was kind of a mixed review, but I mean, that, that just kept leading. I mean, d- actually during the Aussie tour is when our first record actually went gold, which an Aussie, that was our second record when we did the tour with Aussie, yeah. but our first record finally went gold when we were out with Aussie. Um, but it, it was, it, you know, whether it was Biohazard, House of Pain or Marilyn Manson and Danzig or us and Aussie or Sick of It All or us and 311 would go out. Um, it was always kind of mixed reviews. There was like it was slow. We slowly gained yeah. a hardcore presence in the scene. I'm sure as you got bigger, it was more your fans there. Yeah, so. yeah. Every time we would do another tour, there would be you know maybe five or ten percent more people there that had already heard us or liked us, and it just we just toured relentlessly. I mean, we went out and toured for two years straight on our first record, and I don't think we even got any mainstream radio play until the second year on our first record of touring. Yeah, is actually after we've already went across the country a couple times, Europe, South America, all that. Um, and it took like a year and a half before everyone kind of kind of clicked and then all of a sudden you know airplay on all the major stations and videos getting being played all over and that's when they're still uh music music tv yeah <laughs> well that's I, I listen i remember you guys were number one on uh trl yeah you know what um that was for uh, follow the leader um i think got to life or freak i don't remember which one we released first i think, I think we released got to life first so that, that song was, um, it was the number one song on TRL for so long that MTV, they actually invented the, the retirement home Yeah. just because our fans were relentless at that point and they kept calling in and requesting it. So 
they actually invented a retirement home for how long songs could stay at the top of the request charts. No, seriously, it's true. It didn't even exist before us. They invented this MTV retirement home. And um, after a ridiculous amount of weeks, they put Got the Life into the retirement home. But then we released Freak on a Leash, and then it stayed at the top for another three months or something like that. Then they had to retire that one. So um, I think I've got a plaque at home with maybe five videos or so that they put in the MTV retirement home. That's nuts. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny you bring up that album because uh, I wanted to ask you about that. Uh, the first two records, you know, with obviously done, done with Ross, very raw, very aggressive, and there's a similar kind of through line, I think, creatively. Uh, but there's a definitive shift on Follow the Leader, like a great shift. Like that that's might be my favorite, my favorite album. Um, was that like super conscious to kind of, cause everything seemed to almost like tighten up a little bit. Uh, it was more, the hooks were a little more kind of smoothed out and uh, um, intentional. It seemed like, well, what was yeah. it? Um, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Cause I, I, I hear it and obviously I feel the same thing. There's obviously there's different production as well. Yeah, well, um, I don't want to say anything bad about it, but the person that was hired to produce Follow the Leader, he ended up not really producing it because he was partying too much. And we would get to the rehearsal studio, or sorry, the recording studio, and he would be sleeping on the couch all day. So after about a week, we told him to leave. So we ended up um, producing that record with the engineer Toby Wright, yeah. who you know engineered the record. We ended up doing the whole thing with with us and him. And we had to ask the producer to leave because he was he, he was he was too into partying. It wasn't working. <laughs> I mean, we were partying too big time. We like that was that record was ridiculous. We spent so much money on booze for that record, and I, I think literally our tab for just alcohol was eighty thousand bucks for that record. Well, here's the thing: if spending eighty thousand dollars and you and I could get a record that good, then maybe we should all be drinking, drinking more <laughs> yeah. in the studio. <laughs> that that was definitely out of, out of control. That was that was a big time. But I, I think. Uh, when we were writing the songs, maybe that was just a point of our maturity that we, uh, how to say, I think we, uh, I don't even know how to say it. I think we, we just felt that we had kind of came into our own about learning how to write music and write transitional parts. Yeah. And um, piece music together, you know, structuring songs and all that. I think we, we just came to a point where we felt that we, we're getting better at it. And I don't really mean it even sound like we we're saying we got better because our first two records were amazing. Um, but I think there are things you did get better at though. There are different, like there are like even, so I was thinking about this like Freak Unleashed the other day and hearing how it's a weird song, right? Like it has weird parts, like little things like where you, you stop the drums and then you yeah. come back in and even the beat you play like on the, on the uh, chorus is not what you would think of as like a traditional like oh this is gonna be a hit song like it has you know there's little things like uh, where the on, the guitars have a certain thing they do where they ring out on the on the first two choruses but then on the last chorus they all come in together yeah. there's just a, there's a lot of little interesting details and things you know how heavy it gets in the bridge and you're like if that was if someone put that out today there's no one there's no way anyone at a label or manager like this is a hit song. They would, t they would tell you to cut shit out. They would tell you, oh, don't yeah. scream on here. Don't, they would tell you there's all these rules. Yeah, absolutely. About we, we were completely aware of that when we were doing it. Like, for instance, you're saying Freak Unleashed because um, 
a lot of music at that point, it was kind of a common thing where when the chorus would come in, and I mean, I still do it today, but if I can get around it, I do. We have songs where the chorus goes more towards a tribal Tom. Yeah. You know, Tom, I had that little cable hat where I keep time on it just to keep symbols in the background. But um, so we intentionally made the chorus of Freak on Leash the, the tom groove instead of, you know, big open crash cymbal. Like that's kind of the go-to instrument for a, for a chorus these days it seems to be, you know, use the big ride crash. Ooh, that's very, it's very unique though. And, it, and it's very epic sounding. It's very like, you know, it yes. feels like that's what will work well in like a festival or like an arena, you know, like something. Yeah, I, I still keep that that formula in mind of, of not, trying not to always go to the big rides or big crash symbol during the chorus. Um, and, and I don't always, there's a lot of songs we have now that I, I don't go to that, but I mean, there's songs I do, obviously, same thing in Corn. It can't work on every song, but- uh, You know what's one of my favorite songs that does something like that is uh, My Hero, uh, Foo Fighters. Yeah. I think it's just fucking, I love that shit. You yeah, know? It's, I, yeah I, I, it makes me happy when I find a song that I can fit a tom groove over it. It's good. If it, it feels uh, like kind of creating on a different level or something. It's, yeah, I mean, you just, you, I mean, there's so much, you know, uh, you know, I'm fairly new to kind of the radio world, you know, but, you know, Bad Wolves, my, my band has, has had a lot of success with it. Um, and I'm always thinking about how can you, how can you, flip that on it on its head because it's a it's a it's a kind of an avenue where where there currently there aren't a lot of risks taken unfortunately you know um and so that obviously i think puts it in bands minds that they have to they get you know they might make decisions out of fear you know unfortunately currently you know i'm not saying we do that uh but i think it's it's definitely uh it's tough you know it's it's tough especially if you're a band who hasn't been on the radio, but you're trying to get on the radio. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so I think it's 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 de it's definitely tough. Um, but yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off before it. I mean, what what you're saying goes back to exactly my first point about our um, our, our the first corn record was um, at that time we were selling out crowds from the country club in Reseda all the way up and down Hollywood all the way to San Diego because we we had been like playing as many shows as we could. So by the time we actually were offered our record deal, we were selling out, you know, clubs from 500 people to 1,000 people. I think the country club receipt was like 1,000 people, something like that. So we, um, we, we were, had always been conscious of doing that. But then, as I said, once we got the record deal, um, the, the label instantaneously, they told us, they said, okay, just because you guys get the rec have the record deal now, now is when the climb really starts. Yeah, you know, because we first at first we we were kind of thinking, oh, we got a record deal, okay, everything's going to be really great and smooth smooth here, and then little did we know we had a tour for an entire year straight before we got any mainstream radio play, and I think a lot of that's just because of the different sound we had that people did, they didn't get it. It took a while that people they didn't know what, what kind of music it was. It didn't really fit much formats of radio. Yeah, you. Were, I mean, you were you were laying down the kind of the groundwork for other bands to come in and kind of build off of. Build, build off of that and I, I tell that yeah. to people all the time is when you get the record deal that's when the work Absolutely, starts because yeah. it's one thing to get big in your hometown it's one thing to get big regionally but to be able to do that nationally to be able to do it internationally it's just there's no um you know there, there there's no replacement for for time I mean, obviously yeah. especially back then where people forget that a lot of records especially with bands that sounded different would take a long time to break. That first Kid Rock record Absolutely. took a long time to break. The first System of Down record took a long time to break. Uh, Appetite for Destruction, Guns N' Roses took almost a year for it actually to break. And uh, But there was a bit more patience 
and the way the process worked uh, was just a bit more drawn out where now it's kind of obviously with media changing and streaming and the way people kind of find music it's just it's the, the process it couldn't be more different you know yeah it's um it's a completely different game for uh, people doing band stuff than it was i mean i'm still learning about all this media shit i mean yeah how, I how even... do you how do you feel about about kind of the modern uh landscape that you're having to having to deal with and kind of break a new band um is it intimidating no it's not intimidating it's it's kind of disappointing because it seems like there's so many bands that, that come up and they're like the biggest thing for like two weeks and then you never hear of them again yeah so are you on social media? Are you, do you do all this uh, stuff? I, I, I am on social media. I, I never really hardly even look at my, my stuff, though. Yeah. <laughs> my band does stuff, and I, sometimes I let them, you know, they put stuff up on my uh, my sites, but I don't really, I just don't really, uh, like, I'll, I'll, I'll sometimes look at my phone maybe twice an entire day, and I'll have, like, 100 text messages. It's crazy. Well, you're probably healthier for it, I'll tell you that. Yeah, I, 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 I can't stand it. If, if I'm at home, I'll leave my phone in the other room for, like, four hours before I even go look at it. I just don't want, don't want to have that distraction, that well, kind of stuff. Well, I can tell you, as, as someone who, you know, was, you know, you know, I started, basically started in the late 90s, and then kind of did most of my work in the, in the early 2000s, and, and through, through that, and seeing kind of, all right, there's this one way the industry works. Then social media comes around, and then I got to see all these my these bands who primarily got discovered through MySpace. And then now it's a situation where if you're, you know, a, a younger up and coming band, and you're not really clued into social media, your management, your label, everyone's basically will give you shit and say yeah. you're lazy, and you're not. Yeah, hey, absolutely. what are you doing? You're how come you didn't post this? How come you didn't, you know, talk about this? And so the people that a lot of the bands that benefit are the ones that have the type of personalities who literally just want to be on whatever social media Online all, day. all the time. Yeah. yeah. And just make their, their lives basically public. You know, it's like their own reality show. Yeah, absolutely. It's it, it, um, I, I don't dislike it, but it's not really my, my thing, but I, but I understand that we have to connect with people to, make the band you know go further but i just uh i've never really really gotten into the whole social media thing but we definitely we have our band sites up and we, yeah. we definitely you're like i'll make someone do that shit <laughs> yeah somebody yeah these other guys that they're more into it than i am i just never really got it but it was it was it was actually um I th what i do seven records with corn yeah i think at the time i left corn was literally I think the same year that Facebook and iTunes and all that shit took over everything. Yeah, you got out um, right. <laughs> the, literally, I think it, 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 December of two thousand six is is when I when I um when I stopped stopped uh, working with them. Um, and I think if if I'm correct, it wasn't two thousand seven is when all this shit started. Um, well, MySpace was pretty much in full swing during like oh five oh six oh seven, and then I remember the year pretty much. Facebook and Twitter started really taking orders around 09, 010, and then and then obviously a year around that, then you have Instagram and and, and all that. Yeah. So it's it's been a it's it's a process in the way we all because essentially they're social media, but media is marketing, and it's yeah. all right. How do you how do you gal galvanize people when the number one thing you're trying to get is uh, people's attention, right? And so essentially their attention is always focused on something whatever yeah. that is and now you have a landscape where 
it's not just other music it's movies it's tv shows it's video games it's whatever you know there, there's so many podcasts like yeah. like like this where people youtube where people want to spend their time uh being in you know have having their their attention fixed on some kind of media and then you so you know in a lot of ways you have to figure out different ways to do that and the, and the thing is music is always going to be important right yeah. you look at these you look at coachella and all these big festivals like music is always going to really matter it's just kind of the way it it lives the, the the place it kind of takes up that uh real estate it takes up people's lives just has shifted in a different way you know yeah i, I really i don't even know um anybody that even listens to cds anymore like everybody has a phone charger phone jack in their car oh i just do spotify and apple music that's that's, yeah. that's me you know yeah i, yeah, I don't i need... stopped buying cd i think the last cd i bought was probably the last metallica record yeah. Actually, no, no. I didn't even. I didn't buy the CD. I bought this. I bought the CD for Death Magnetic. I didn't. I just. I just bought it on iTunes. You know. Yeah, I haven't purchased music other than iTunes, and I can't even remember how long it's been. Well, you know, they're gonna get rid of the iTunes store, and it's just gonna be all streaming. Really? So it's, it's uh, not even gonna be MP3s at, at some point. I mean, so it's it's even yeah. it's, it's getting even crazy. <laughs> at least, um, I think was it late last year? Congress passed a new bill. Um, making new laws for digital streaming rights so they have to pay i don't remember yeah, i think they, i think they gave it like a 40 percent, some kind of big increase yeah and then there was another there was a a, a, a lawsuit against that that a, it was like a class action for from a few different companies to try and t get it overturned and I, I don't know where it still stands but yes yeah i, I, I heard yeah last i heard was that congress passed a law that's going to up digital performance royalties 40 percent, and then yeah. as you said the lawsuits filed against of course they'd file a lawsuit trying to not pay the artist yeah. well i mean that's but the thing is we you know i think the one of the biggest problems with musicians is we and the thing is it's you know it's not going to be me more than likely because i'm d down on the totem pole but the truth is the the Kanye West and the Taylor Swifts, they're the ones that have to go, literally like we should have lobbyists Absolutely. that are working on our behalf because right now the music industry, you know, with, through streaming and all the, the ways that uh, they create revenue is making just as much money as it was during the peak or, or similar, right? There's a lot yeah. of money, but the, but the truth is the streaming services and the labels are getting most of the money. And yeah, it's not the, getting to the artists. Yeah, well, the labels have maybe a quarter of the staff they, they used to have. Remember yeah. I was talking about the street team, the yeah. college teams, all that, that's all gone. Um, they, that they don't even have, that I know of, I don't think they even have college reps anymore. I think it's all digital media people. So I think labels are probably, I think they've laid off maybe I've heard at least 50% or more of their employees to across the board. Yeah, and, and, and you know what? I'd say for a certain degree, some of that stuff you probably don't need. It's definitely consolidated. Uh, there was probably a lot of bloat, especially at like major labels. Yeah. Um, but um, but there is, but, but the point is, what I'm trying to say is there is a lot more revenue than there was in, in 2008 and 2010 when uh, CD sales had cratered and the streaming revenue hadn't been there. And the truth is, is if we can, it's all about um you want a collective vision right so this is the idea like the reason why netflix has so much money is because you have hundreds of millions of people all paying that absolutely fee. so if you can just bring more people into streaming to pay that ten dollars a month whatever it costs that adds up over time but you just need more people to actually want to invest you know and to streaming, me 10 yeah. 10 dollars a month is not a lot and if you are someone who enjoys music you know 
it's the least you could do as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. You know, yeah. and that's why I subscribe to both because I, you know, Apple and that, cause I want, I want to make sure there's, you know, support the, the industry that I'm in, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I haven't went to full streaming yet. I'm still buying song, individual songs off of iTunes. Hey man, do what you gotta do as long as you're, as long as you're doing what, yeah. you know, listen, listen to music. Um, what there's one, one, one question I want to ask you is does the experience of being in a great band and you were in a great band, an all-time great band. Thank you. You now, from an insider's perspective, know the DNA of what makes a great band, from the types of musicians to the the chemistry, the recording process, what kind of songs. Utilizing that, does that has that informed you as to what you're doing now and what you think about towards the future of like, all right, this is I know what it takes to actually do it. Um Yes, to a degree, um, but to say for certain, I mean, it's you know still to be determined with this band. We'll see. I mean, how it ends up. But <laughs> but but I'm saying, but if anyone would know, like you'd say, I at least you have a template. It's not like everyone or every thing you might do has to follow that. But that has to be valuable stuff yeah. that only a handful of people will ever get to say. Hey, I was in a band that did this for, and and, and it was consistent. It wasn't like it was you guys were one hit wonder. Um, you know, I just I just imagine I just wonder how that kind of leads in, into everything you do from that on. And maybe the standards almost too high. I don't know. Um, well, the standards have absolutely changed. But I mean, I think just uh, the theory of putting in the work and dedication, and spending the time in the studio writing and rehearsing and all that. I mean, I think if anything, I was taught more of the work ethic from you know basically hardly ever taking time off just touring writing touring writing i think that's probably the best lesson i've been able to utilize to carry over just because you know back when i was in corn it was before the digital age really even started so i mean your, your guess is as good as mine as far as how to, how to market that <laughs> shit these days you know what i mean but um i mean i i know the right people that know how to do all that stuff so yeah. I, I am talking to some some people actually some people that used to work at sony in 94 when we got our first record deal are still in the game that, that own some management companies that are, are doing strictly digital stuff right now so i'm actually talking to some of them right now so we'll see how that turns out hopefully that will be a good partnership we'll see is the goal to get back on the road and do a full time that yeah, are absolutely. you absolutely okay yeah. so you're 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 all in all chips in yeah absolutely everyone here um you know we, we spend a lot of time in the studio writing songs and um richard lives an hour and 20 minutes north of here um so he comes down on weekends and we have we tr we track everything on individual tracks here live in the studio so we we write like 3 days a week up here and then he comes down one day a week but we record and write songs and we send him individual tracks and then he he mixes them at his house and he chops them up for parts that he hears could be verses you know if we want to make a verse pre-course course whatever a bridge whatever post course whatever it doesn't matter the combination he, he has the ability to to mix every song the way he wants to he's hearing in his head mm -hmm. so i mean we literally could just we, we could come up with three or four parts and loop them in eight bars whatever and just loop them over and over again and send him one thing and he could send us back the next day a complete different rearranged version of all of them with with vocals or, or the way he feels that he can he can potentially write to it so th that's been really actually strangely it's been really good to actually not have him here because he brings a whole different perspective to the music by by yeah. just getting it with fresh ears. 
Um, I would normally say like back in the early corn days, that's one thing that did bother me is we got to the point where we weren't writing as a full band anymore. We weren't writing with Jonathan singing. We were writing just, we went from writing as a full band, all five of us to just four of us without John. That he'd come in later and yeah. do his thing. Yeah, and, and I, I heavily disagreed with that. I was always into having everyone write together as part mm-hmm. of it. But um, the way we're doing it now is exactly the way we ended up doing it with Corn, where we'd write the music without the vocals. But um, it works. It, it works really good now because Richard, he's, he's he has this. Uh, um, he he's very determined his his way of thinking. When he hears something, he knows automatically where his vocals want to go. Like you know, it's keyed and all that stuff. So he's he's so aware of his own his own uh, abilities of singing that he's really good at chopping songs up and immediately he'll hear something and go, okay, that sounds like a verse to me, or this sounds like a chorus, whatever. Um, it, it's like, he just, he's on it. He's like a per- per- perfect perfectionist. Like the, he takes it to a new level of, of, of a, of a good characteristic. Right on, man. Well, listen, man, I, I think the songs sound, sound really cool. And, uh, you know, I definitely wish you all, all the luck absolutely in, in, in the world. And, you know, hopefully you, know, you guys will get out on the road and this stuff definitely feels, um, to me to you you know it has a more like a very accessible vibe to it so you know i, I definitely can see it getting played on the on, on on the radio and especially you know uh with your background and you know you just keep keep going i think a lot of cool things could happen but uh yeah i appreciate it no man yo thank you so much for, best thanks thank for, you so much for being on the show thanks man. for having me appreciate it of course brother Let's see.
with our track Pity. Uh, currently, the band has two songs out and you can listen to them. And like you said, you know they have a, new, a record coming out sometime soon. I think the tracks are, are really cool and they sounded awesome live. I was actually really impressed by uh, how seasoned the band sounded for, I guess, not doing too many shows. I don't know if that was their first show. Um, but yeah, uh, and that's spelled B-I with a dot, kind of like a dot in the middle and A-S. And I don't know... I'm pretty sure I can find that on a phone, but I'm trying to figure out my keyboard where you find that find that dot. But you can actually check their stuff out at facebook.com backslash biasbanddoc. I don't know if that has anything to do with me, but uh, but yeah, man, yo, thank you so much to David for 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 doing this interview and uh, kind of taking us up to some really cool intimate places. Um, you know, kind of with his story, things I didn't know, and maybe a lot of people don't know, and you know, people don't. I don't think I always understand how how hard it is maybe to kind of open up about some of this stuff and um, you know just his experiences and all the the difficulties gone through with his health and everything. You know, I just give him all the credit in the world for getting out there and and really starting from starting from the bottom, starting from from scratch again with with newer bands. Man, people don't realize how how hard this is. I. Uh, Actually, probably I, I just went on Jamie Josta's show again, <laughs> and a, I had a part of the interview, which so it'll probably won't be out for for a couple weeks. So I'll give you a little preview where I just kind of talked about how I hated how bands come out and they split up and then they like form two versions of the band. So you have like two Cro-Mags and two Queensrikes and two Rats, and that just really bothered me because you know I feel like. The main reason that is is because it's so hard to start a new band that people that brand right is is has a monetary value that they can go out and they can make X amount from guarantees or whatever. And I, I get it business wise. I mean, if you're in your 40s or 50s and you've helped build a brand, you're like, fuck it, I cannot start from the bottom. 
I told I, that's why when I see someone like David doing what he's doing, I'm like, man, that's that's a guy doing it for for the right reasons because he he really loves it and he doesn't have to do it. Um, and I know he's taking a lot, of, you know, taking a lot of shit, especially for those last band core ten people not really. Um, you know, just talking a lot of junk on the on the internet, and it's it's not easy to put yourself out there with something new and something un unproven. So, you know, I'm just and you know anyone wants wants to come on here, it's 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 going to be all positivity, and um, and yeah, shout out to him, and, and definitely check out the band if if you can. Um, I'm not going to talk your, your guys' ear off. I got to get out of here. Got to got to shower, clean up my life. You know, gonna go enjoy some time off from the road with my lady and uh i'm very much looking forward to it but love you guys thank you for the support and uh mamba out oh, actually before i go before i say mamba out nba finals starts tomorrow your boy's very excited actually no by the time you guys you hear this it will already have a couple games so never mind just watch the nba we only got a couple weeks left or maybe less if if someone whoops that ass but uh you know keep watching the ball and now Mamba's out. Yes, rock everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.